to Galatians 5. I want to speak about the gospel this morning. And uh, this week, this week um, a guy called Tim Keller passed away. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, back in 2016, I got to go and spend a bit of time in New York. With, it was with Tim Keller and those guys. And it was really influential in my life, actually, in my understanding of the gospel and how it applies and how it speaks to the heart and how it transforms. And I thought I would have known that before that. Yeah, I was already a minister, already pastoring the church four or five years at that point. And, um, but transformative and, uh, and there's multitudes, multitudes of people who've, who've experienced the same through that man's teaching and the legacy he's left behind and yeah, we've gone all day about stuff like that but um, yeah, very grateful to the Lord for that time and for that man and, and my prayer is that we'd all be as faithful to what the Lord has called us to yeah, all be as bold in how he's shaped us Lord called him, he was, uh, he was pastoring a small church in like rural, blue collar, rural America and uh, and they were looking for a pastor to plant in New York City. To, and um, and they, hired, they interviewed like three people and they all backed out. No one wanted the job. Because you're going into secular New York. You know, liberal New York. No church is going to flourish there. And um, he was on the committee apparently who was uh, selected. And uh, nobody wanted it. So he felt, I need to put my money where my mouth is. I need to go and, and do it. And um, it just expanded. grew to like 5,000 members of young professionals, young people coming to hear the gospel in not a watered down way, in not a way that you might expect to hear it in the city, you know, trying to make it attractive or trying to blunt the edges of it or whatever, you know, um, but uh, in a way that, that appealed to, to them because the gospel is good news. So very grateful for him and uh, remember his family as well um, in our prayers. Um, so yeah, let me speak with you from Galatians chapter 5 and uh, I want to speak about how faith in God can bring freedom and fruit in our lives. Um, and work through it, uh, focusing on different parts. But these are the opening lines, right? It says, so, um, so Christ has truly set us free. He'll make sure that you stay free and don't get tired of again slavery to the law. So there's the freedom part, at least. Christ has truly set you free. Make sure that you stay free and you don't end up again in slavery uh, to the law. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favour with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. Harsh words, eh? You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. So most of us probably know what's going on here. The Galatian church, Galatia is like modern day Turkey. A group of guys who'd come to know Jesus weren't Jews. Um, Paul had evangelized to them, started a church there. And, um, and after a while, these people, they'd heard the gospel, the good news of grace, yeah? Um, they're saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Probably aren't even aware of the Old Testament law and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then some Jewish people come along, some Jewish Christians, and the Jewish Christians start to tell them, well, look, no, you need to add on this law stuff. You need to get circumcised, which was an act of becoming a Jew, the first act of hitting, circumcised the males. Um, and so saying, basically, you need to add this on to, to what Jesus is doing. You need to add this on to your salvation. And Paul's writing to them to be adamant to say, like, don't, don't fall for it. Yeah? Um, and you might think, right, as I did often when I read through this stuff, well, you know, when I start talking about the Jewish stuff, you can kind of tune out, well, I'm not Jewish. I don't... <coughs> I'm not running off to get circumcised. You know what I mean? I'm not volunteering, putting my hand up for that thing. Put it down. Um, I'm not, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't read those Levitical laws and think, okay, I'm obligated to that stuff. 
Um, but it's, it's not just a trait between like Jews and Christians, it's a trait of, of humanity, that there's this tendency that we have to, to feel, um, whether it's by the flesh or the influence by the enemy, to say that you need to add on to the work of Jesus. Basically what he did isn't enough, so you need to perform, okay? You need to do the right things, you need to, you need to add on to it so that, it's, so that it's complete. And so these Galatian Christians end up kind of bound. They, he says, he uses this language that they end up being slaves again. And they can either be slaves or slaves to sin, or slaves to like, their own performance, to the need to, to do stuff right. So that's what I want to look at. Um, how do we stop ourselves now that we've been, because this is written to us, yeah, as well. If Christ has truly set us free, how can we make sure that we stay free and we don't get tied up again in slavery to the law? That should resonate with us. That's, that's, a, that's a, 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 a challenge to us as well um, today. So Paul is like, first of all, he's just like, don't fall for it. And he speaks about it in the plainest of words, right? He's like, we're under a new covenant with Jesus. Jesus has done everything from first to last. The whole of the book of Galatians. Heard somebody one time call it the gospel for dummies. It's just like, piece by piece, five or six chapters long, just unpacks it. All the ways that it might come against it, like all the different ways that it might be twisted or perverted. And he just wants to like address them all and say, no, this is what we believe. Jesus Christ has done everything first to last to make us right with God. There's nothing that can be added to it because it's complete. If we try and add anything to it, what are we saying? That it's, in, it's incomplete. That he didn't, he didn't do enough. And so he speaks um, boldly about it where even in verse, this is verse 4, he says, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's, from God's grace. Try and make yourself right by keeping the law. You've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from him. From God's grace. And that's, that's, a, that's a, stark, a stark warning to us. To assess, to assess our lives. Not in like a, are we measuring up way. But are we surrendered enough kind of way. Do we, do we fully believe that Jesus did everything from start to finish. He's like make your choice. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? Where's your, where's your faith? Is it in the way you live or is it in Jesus? Because it can't be in both. If your faith is in, faith is in Jesus and whatever. Then your faith isn't really in Jesus. And uh, that's a message that I need to hear often. Like, where's your hope, Rob? Is it in your own performance, or is it in your your work with you, your, your 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 relationship with the Lord? Um, and if I'm honest, like sometimes if I think, if you think about, like, what would, like, if I was to stand before the Lord today, what what accounts would I give for my life? Like, often I probably think around, well, I just went to the Soto and I worked hard. Do you know what I mean? We've taken these steps of faith, we've done this. Faithfully tried to plant a church, remain faithful to my wife, tried to be the best husband I have. Could be, you know, you, like, you, you stack up the measure, like the measure of, like, here's the things that I, that I did. That's by default kind of what comes. I lived kind of a, a good enough life, and you hope that if the Lord was to look at that, then that outweighs the bad things. Do you know what I mean? Or, like, overlooks the bad things, and on the balance of things, we'd be, we'd be weighed up and found um, that we measure up. And uh, what Paul is saying is that that's, that's not the gospel, yeah? That's not, that's not the gospel. Um, he's saying that the moment you submit to some kind of rule-keeping system as the basis for your life, in that same moment you're rejecting the work of Jesus, saying that it doesn't matter and that I'll make my own way in life. The moment you submit to some kind of rule-keeping way, you become a slave. You're saying that what Jesus has done is insufficient. So really what the answer should be, if I was to stand before the Lord, and on what basis do, do I give an account for my life, should be... Lord, but faith I believe that I'm in Christ <laughs> and that he's done everything from first to last to make me right with you. Your words told me. Your Holy Spirit testified and made it feel true in my heart, made it real to me 
that I got his righteousness when he came to live in me and that's what I stand on. My eggs are in that basket. Because if our eggs are in the basket of our own righteousness, it'll, it'll fail. We know it'll fail. Even if you can obey the laws, even as they're written, Jesus came and showed us there's a heart behind the law. Yeah? It says do not murder, but if you're angry towards your brother, commit murder in your heart. Do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust after another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. There's a, there's a higher standard than we would know, but we get to be in, in Jesus. And he wants us to be free from that. He's saying you've been free from the law. Don't make yourselves slaves again. And that sounds, that can sound a little bit mad, right? Because it can sound like, well, what are you saying then? Then it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how I live, right? If Jesus has done everything, then, then I can just do whatever I want, yeah? If my record is in him. That's obviously not the case, right? But, uh, but we'll address how. How that's not the case is, is important. But it's important to just labour this point. Jesus has done everything from start to finish to make you right with God. Everything. And there's nothing you can add to that that'll make it more complete. So don't give away your freedom to become a slave to your own performance. Too many Christians, and I've been there, um, living not in freedom but in oppression and in condemnation, carrying a weight that's not theirs and that they can't carry, living under an oppressive view of God, always feeling not good enough and then doubling down on their efforts and then failing and then condemning themselves again and then making another effort and failing and condemning themselves again and God is oppressive to them. That's what slavery to the law looks like and it's, it's right to call it slavery. Because the need to perform, to be able to feel good about ourselves, it masters us. It becomes a master. It begins to dictate what it is that you do and you don't do. Yeah? Your performance becomes um, a master over your life. You feel good when you're doing good. You feel bad when you're doing bad. You're never arriving. You're always striving. And it's a cruel master because we never measure up. We're hamstrung because of our sinful nature. We need to realize that, that's, that was the, the point of the law was this. The point of the law was to point us to the fact that we needed a saviour. It was to point us to the fact that we just can't, we just can't do it. Yeah, we don't measure, like who has ever, by their own discipline and the sweat of their own brow, managed to discipline their lives into sinless perfection? Do you know what I mean? Who's ever even with some trivial thing, complained, got complete mastery over it because they managed to discipline nobody? Do you know what I mean? But we, we, we still fool ourselves into thinking this is the way that we're meant to go. We realise we don't need more discipline. We don't need a new strategy. We need a saviour. So we just need to be careful that that doesn't creep back in from that. Um, that yeah, Jesus has done everything. And again, right, that can sound like, well, is he telling me to, not to try to live right? Not to try and do the right things? No, but what I'm saying is like the motive. The motive matters. When, when we feel, when we think of our lives and we're like, right, okay. I've failed in this way. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do better at it, right? You get that, that inner motivation. Now I'm going to really try. I'm going to do better. You need to ask yourself, what's happening in that moment, right? Is it this? If it's this, that God loves me so much, he died for me, I have this perfect relationship with him because of Jesus, I want to live the right way that he's called me to live, and I'm going to trust in his Holy Spirit to empower me to do that. If it's that, then praise the Lord. That's great, yeah? Right? If it's that thing. But if your motivation to try harder is, I failed and God is disappointed in me and I need to make amends, I need to do better before I can approach him again, before I can go to him again, then you could be doing the exact same, the exact same actions, yeah? But one is sin and slavery and the other one is living by the Spirit of God and it's, it's freedom. So it's really about the Holy Spirit assessing our, our motivations and drilling down into us that God loves us and he accepts us and he's with us, and he's for us, and even in our sin. Like, because, what does it say in another place in Scripture? While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. 
So what makes you think that now you need to perform for to get the love and affection of God? You got it while you were still in your sin. And God knew every sin you would commit past, present and, and future at that point. So even if you're at a point where you've been going good for a while and then you failed, God knew that beforehand, yeah? He's accounted for that. It's been, it's been paid. When Jesus says it's finished, it's finished. But we can get this spot where we think, well, look, if my sin has all been paid for, well, then it kind of doesn't matter. And we have this cheap grace kind of thing. And Paul addresses that because he knows that's what the sinful nature does. It takes even the good news and it makes it an excuse to sin more. Yeah? It takes the good news and says, well, if you can do that, then just go and sin. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And he says this in verse 13. Now, if you go to the next slide, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. He knows the tendency is going to be, well, if you're saying I'm free, then I can do whatever I want, yeah? So he's like, no, don't do that. Instead, use it to serve one another in love. Love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. It's like sin says this, like, if I'm free, I'm going to go on a mad one. If I'm free, I'm going to take that good news. I'm going to to go and just do whatever I want. I know that God will, will forgive me. Um, and that's what would happen to us if we, weren't left, if we were left to our own devices. But God doesn't just leave us with a sinful nature. Look what it goes on to say. How are we supposed to use our freedom? Well, one, we're supposed to use it to, to love one another. And you read that, right? And it can, sound, it can sound kind of good, right? Well, don't use your freedom for the sinful nature. Instead, use it to love one another, right? But realistically, right, the sinful nature is at work in our lives. And that doesn't make that statement all that attractive to us. Like, if I was to ask you, like, so the nature of sin is self, selfishness, yeah? Looking after the self. So the things that give me pleasure, the things that, 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 um, things that make me feel good, the things that, that, that satisfy some craving I have in the, in the moment, even if it's at the expense of others, yeah? or even if it's at the expense of long-term loss, like what's the short-term gain? That's what, that's what sin does, how it tempts us, right? And the alternative, Paul says, is to not to give in to that selfishness, but instead to love one another. But that doesn't look that attractive to us. If I was to ask you, like, name the thing that gives you the most pleasure, even if it's sinful, right? Like, like, and now compare that with the self-sacrificial cost of loving somebody, yeah? Of, of getting into somebody's life and bearing the cost of that and walking with them. And those of us who've done that and walked that way, know that's a difficult route to walk. It doesn't sound that, that attractive. It sounds like, well, if I'm going to use my freedom, I'll use my freedom to, to, to feel good, rather than use my freedom to, to, to feel feel bad. That's, it's an indication of the power of this thing that Paul calls like the sinful nature that's uh, working us. It's this battle going on inside us and it's, I don't know, sometimes it's difficult to understand. It's not a battle against the good side of you and the bad side of you. Do you know what I mean? It's not a battle like where I have these bad cravings and these good cravings and I just need to really work on the good cravings and give in the bad ones. Paul describes it in a different way. Since there's a battle going on inside you, it's between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. Which is, which is different, yeah? It's different because if it was between the sinful nature and you, then your response would be self-discipline and going after, like, like doing the right things and, and, and like that would be your, your responsibility. But if it was between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit, then your response becomes, which one do you surrender to? Do you get me? It's not a matter of, of effort, but a matter of surrender. Here's what, here's what the Holy Spirit says. Here's what Paul says. So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. 
But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So he says this, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And the conclusion I think it's important to come to to understand here is that this is the battle for what you submit to. Yeah? So, here's the tendency we have, right? Say we're doing well for a while, right? And the weight of that ultimately crushes us. You're being crushed under the weight of your own performance because you think that's what makes you right with God. Inevitably, that crushes you, right? Because you can't carry that weight. You can't be good enough. When you fail, as we often do, then you like you throw the towel in. And you move from this, you're walking down this way, and there's a danger of walking off the cliff of, of law, yeah? Your own performance. And then you think, like, I failed. And then you just throw yourself into, well, it doesn't matter. I just give up. Yeah, like, embrace this license side. And maybe even come to some sort of like fake gospel, but God loves you anyway, it doesn't matter, you know, just do what you, you want to do. Stay in that relationship, stay doing that thing in work, stay doing that thing on the computer. It doesn't, God will just forgive you, just ask the Lord to forgive you, yeah? And there's no, there's no change, just like an embracing of like the sinful nature there. And then, when we're there for too long and we feel down and we feel no good, what do we do? Instead of turning to the guard again, we turn to the law and we swing back this way again, right? Well now, I'm going to double down on, I'm going to get rid of my phone and I'm going to like, like, get comfortable about those relationships and I'm going to make these sacrifices into the law again, crush, back the license, yeah? I mean, like, pendulum between these two things, right? But, but God introduces a third third way. The gospel is this third way. It's not this pendulum of, of condemnation because you're either a slave to your performance here, yeah? Or you're a slave to the sinful nature over here. So he's telling you, one way or another, you're going to be a slave to something. But you can become slaves to righteousness. He's saying you can become like submitted to the Holy Spirit. I say this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Basically saying either you're going to give in to sin, your sinful nature, or you're going to try and fix it and become slaves to, to law. But the third way is this, is let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And I think it's important, he's saying, here's how you overcome the battle for sin, sin in your life. Here's how you win, here's how you fight. You don't. You surrender. How do I overcome sin? I don't. God in me does. So I surrender to him. That sin, the sinful nature is a greater power than, than we are. But the Holy Spirit is a greater power than he is. It's just down to what, what we surrender to, how we surrender. That's the battle that's going on. And then Paul, to try and convince us of it, right, he gives like this list of all. And when, when you read it again, right, you just, you just kind of blast through it, or I do. But um, I'm going to read it in a different translation. But you know the, the list. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Against these things I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what tends to happen when we read that list. We go down through it and we use it like a little checklist. Well, no sorcery going on, no orgies going on, no drunkenness going on. Maybe there's a little bit of idolatry going on. Maybe there's a little... And we use it like a measuring stick. I'm doing okay. Yeah, there's 15 things there and I have three. Well, that's not, that's not so bad. Um, and we, we, we fail to see like the, just the depravity of that stuff. And what Paul is trying to do in that, in that list is trying to make us see how attractive it should be to just surrender to what the Holy Spirit wants to produce. Because like, here's what the sinful nature, if you surrender to that, if you let that have rule over you, here's what it's going to produce in your life. There's a, you know the message version of the Bible. He paraphrases this beautiful, I think I have it in the next slide, Mal, do I? He's like, here's what, uh, yeah, 
He says, here's what this kind of life develops. The life of trying to get your own way all the time. Basically, here's what the sinful nature. So instead of sexual immorality, he just calls it what it is. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. It's what, it's what the world calls good. It's what sinful nature craves, looks for. Do you know what I mean? Get as much as you can, wherever you can. Yeah? Uh, what it calls impurity. The stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. That's a description of what happens in many people's lives. Yeah? Instead of sensuality, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Like just, just like searching for it, trying to grab it wherever you can, like panic, like just want to get a bit of happiness here, a bit of happiness. Sensuality. Idolatry calls trinket gods, as in gods that you can control. Sorcery calls magic show religion. Like just come along to the thing, make me have some goosebumps, sing some songs, make me feel good, tell me something that encourages me, let me go. Yeah? Like magic show, performance, performance religion, just like... Give, give me what satisfies um, in, the, in the immediate. Um, instead of enmity and strife, it says paranoid loneliness and cutthroat competition. You just describe, I don't know, Barry, describe, I'm sure there's people you know in work who live in a place of paranoid loneliness and cultural competition. Yeah? It's in that work environment. Sure we know. People we could point to, yeah? That's what it looks like. Paranoid lonely, paranoidly lonely. And, and cuts road in competition, trying to strike, trying to prove themselves, trying to, to earn something to make them significant, yeah? All consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives, small minded and lopsided pursuits. See this one instead of envy. Um, it says, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled, instead of drunkenness, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Instead of orgies, ugly parodies of community. That's stuff that life just describes life outside of the Lord. It describes the fruit of what sinful nature craves. And maybe moments of it sound good, but when it's, when it's listed out, I think that was the point Paul was trying to make in listing it out. He's trying to make you see, see where this is going. See where it's going. Maybe it feels good in the moment to entertain that sin. Maybe it feels good in the moment to think this way. But long term, this is the kind of fruit that your life is going to produce. This is what it's going to look like in the world and to you around you. Remember a minute ago he says, don't use your freedom to, for the selfish desires, but instead love one another. Saying the opposite way produces not what this produces, as in dis- dysfunction and, and hurt in ourselves and others. But instead we have the opportunity to release something into the world that's, that's great. Um, he goes on to describe the fruit of the Spirit, the next one. But he says this, so he's comparing two sets of fruit. The fruit of sinful nature is this, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our life. And we again know we list off the things, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, yeah? Um, but he says this, affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that basic holiness permeates all things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Is that not the most attractive thing in the world? He's saying this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And again, like a lot of commentators point out, fruit, not fruits. Yeah? So it's not like you get one and then you get the other. It's like this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in your life will cause you to all of these ways. It's not just an amassing of those things piece by piece. It's like stepping into who the Holy Spirit is and allowing him to produce that fruit in your life. 23 says legalism is helpless and bringing it about, it only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities 
is killed off the road, crucified. And so the challenge to me as I read it this, this week and as I'm trying to apply it to my life um, is to step out of that pendulum swing, yeah? The, the, the verse there in the ESV says, keep in step with the Spirit. And what I'd encourage you to do and what the Holy Spirit is encouraging me to do is to take a step of faith into this stuff. And it is a step of faith. It takes faith to believe, to believe this stuff. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Take a step of faith into what he has to surrender to him. Um, and I believe God's heart for you is by faith to step back onto the right path. You might have been walking down the path of license. You might have been walking down the path of law. You know where you are in your life. But God's heart is like, just, just step back on. Not looking to condemn you. Not looking to beat you up. Not to clip you around the ear. You idiot, what are you doing? Like, it's hard to pull you back onto the path. Come walk with me. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say keep in step with the Holy Spirit like some aim, some goal out there to torment us that you're not going to do. He's like, this is my desire to walk, to walk with you. And it's often up this morning as well. It's like, the Holy Spirit's a person. You with me? Like, I'm not just presenting to you some ideology of don't think this way, think this way. What the Bible is presenting to us is saying God lives in you by the power of His Holy Spirit and wants to walk with you. He's a person. Meaning it's not just an ideology, it's not just something you study, but he'll direct you as you talk to him, as you walk with him, as you live with him, as he's alive, he's, he's alive in you, he's accessible. I think in our, in our moments where we're tempted to sin and our default is like, well, just try not to. Instead, when we're tempted to sin, we should be like, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you right now. I surrender to you, I walk with you. In those moments when we're just aware that we're striving and we feel the pressure of performance and we feel, you know, when you fail, when you do something you don't feel good enough, like instead of trying to think your way out of it or instead of trying to outperform your way out of it or instead of giving up and just turning to sin and turning away, it's the Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I let you. Whichever way it is, whichever point our lives are in, there's a step of faith to take. And it is a step of faith. Because what you're saying is, I trust you, you trust in someone else with your life, yeah? With your destiny, with whatever it is, whatever, this stuff can be tied up in relationships and family and like the, what the Holy Spirit might prompt you to do, like it's, it's big. It's a step of faith, I'm not trying to make it out that it's small, but he's good, yeah? But he's trustworthy, but he, but he loves you. And he would call you to just, to just step in. Just step in and surrender. Maybe there's sin that you've been struggling with and, uh, and you think you're never going to be free from it, from that pattern of behaviour, from that pattern in your life. And it's a step of faith to trust your hands into the life of another. It's a step of faith to say, okay, I've tried, I failed, I can't get over this. I'm just going to rely on you. And that feels, you know, like one of them trust falls, you know, where people like fall backwards and like trusting people to catch it. Sure feels like that in that moment, right? But he's good and he'll catch you. God is like irresistibly drawn to faith, guys. He's just like irresistibly drawn to, to believe in when he says who he is, that we would just say, okay, yeah, and, and go for it. Um, trust him. What he has for you is better in every way. Take, take that step. Rely on him. If you've been walking in the other direction, you've become a slave to your own achievement, your own capacity to do things right, and it's wearing you out like it inevitably does. The weight of it's crushing you. Can I encourage you to step away from it again? That's a step away because you might be stepping away from the thing that brings you security. You might be stepping away from the thing that, you know, people know me for that. Or step away from doing that. You know, your identity is it's a powerful force, yeah? Your identity can be tied up in. I'm the one who does this. I'm the one who's this way. I'm the one who's that. Inevitably, 
like in order to be true to ourselves, where that leads to is I'm the one who has to be fake because if I'm really front of people, I'll be rejected. <laughs> yeah? Why did that just crush You're not meant to live that way. It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Don't allow yourself to be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which is the law. Yeah? That's what law living looks like. But then, um, yeah, to be able to say, I just look to Jesus. Jesus for my worth. Jesus for my significance. Jesus for my identity. Jesus for the grace I need to overcome sin. No one he teaches except to pray. And towards the end of it, he's like, here's how to pray. Daily, right? He wants to say our daily bread, right? So here's how to pray. Lord, lead me not to temptation. Deliver me from evil. Like, intimacy. Oh, that he will be with us, leading us, guiding us. And then even if we're in a space where evil is around us, the grace of deliverance. You can trust him. 